0: I don't know who noticed it first, uh, my wife Cindy or if I did. But what we've discovered over the past 12 weeks of the coronavirus, uh, we will hear the other one, catch the other one taking a deep breath. And I'll look at Cindy and say, what are you thinking about? Or she'll be doing what she does, and I'll be doing what I do, and all of a sudden I'll be like, "Ah." and she'll say to me, did you mean to do that? Now the truth is, uh, I'm not sure uh, whether I've actually been breathing more uh, during COVID-19 or not, but there's something about taking a deep breath, Uh, that just really reinvigorates us, and uh, there's actually a biological effect when you breathe deeply. It helps blood to flow throughout your body, but there's also physiological uh, impacts with breathing deeply. It calms our anxiety. It helps us to think clearer. Uh, Breathing deeply helps us uh, to rest and relax a little bit more. And so I thought we could begin our time together today by just taking a deep breath. <sighs> now let it out. <sighs> Isn't that good? There's something really valuable about just breathing. And sometimes as I go uh, through a particular season in my life, I find myself, when I'm not sure quite what to do, uh, to just breathe, to stop and breathe, just... <sighs> Breathe in and breathe out. And it reminds me uh, that the Holy Spirit uh, is at work uh, in my life. And, you know, I think especially during uh, the coronavirus, uh, it's been really, really good uh, to be able to just breathe a little bit more. I mean, these have been unprecedented times. We've gone through and we're still in a season uh, of uh, a pandemic, a health crisis that we have not seen since the 1918 flu. We're also going through an economic uh, turbulence uh, that we have not seen since the Great Depression of 1929 and in the 1930s. And in the midst of uh, both of these uh, challenges, we're hearing experts, leaders, global leaders uh, around the world on polar opposite sides of, of how you and I ought to respond through all this. And it's it's been a bit tumultuous. I think you would agree. It's been a season of struggle and frustration. It's been a season of sometimes concern and, and anxiety and stress. And I just think it's been really good uh, to breathe. <sighs> You know, during COVID-19, we've been uh, going through the wilderness metaphorically as a global community. And so over the past few weeks, uh, we've been looking at stories in Scripture. Old Testament and New Testament, of people, God's people, who have traveled through the wilderness, Uh, metaphorically, but oftentimes, literally, they would go to a place through a place that they had never been before. And uh, today, we're going to wrap it all up. Today is the last message on uh, what it means to travel, uh, to venture into the wilderness. And we're going to be looking at a story Uh, from the Old Testament uh, uh, prophet, a guy by the name of Ezekiel. If you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to Ezekiel 37. And uh, I'm not even going to try to tell you how to find Ezekiel 37. You probably want to go to the table of contents. But let me give you some context so you understand a little bit what's going on in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was written in 571 B.C., A few years prior, um, the Babylonians uh, invaded uh, Jerusalem and they had overrun the walls and they had gone into the temple and all that was holy and sacred, uh, the Babylonians had plundered and stolen and they profaned everything. They lay uh, uh, Jerusalem and the temple, everything was in ruins. And God's people were really, of course, uh, the Israelites were really not happy about this at all. And many, many people thought that God had abandoned them, that God had left them. Uh, But the truth of it is, uh, long before Nebuchadnezzar uh, and the Babylonians uh, showed up uh, and overran the walls of Jerusalem, God's people, the Israelites, had turned their backs on God. And so that's kind of the context of what's going on. And God allows the Babylonians then uh, to overrun uh, the Israel uh, nation. And so God sends a guy by the name of Ezekiel to come and call God's people back, uh, to invite them uh, into a relationship of, of repentance, uh, a relationship uh, where they would humble themselves and come back to God. God's people, uh, much like our people, God's people today, uh, they would get distracted by shiny things, and uh, they began following other gods. And uh, so uh, Ezekiel has got the task of calling God's people, the Israelites, back. And and much of uh, the book of Ezekiel There's no sugarcoating it. It's a little rough. Uh, It's a book of rebuke, rebuke after rebuke after rebuke. Um, And then there's also some hope uh, in the book of Ezekiel. But you know, the thing about Ezekiel, what I love about Ezekiel, is that he is a guy who tells the truth. And isn't it true that we live in a day and a time uh, where uh, we would rather listen to short-term falsehoods than listen to what's the truth, what we need to hear? And and the longer I live, the more I appreciate people who are willing uh, to tell the truth, to say the hard words. You know, as I think about uh, kind of our culture today, it kind of reminds me of going to the county fair. And you start out at the county fair, uh, of course, uh, with breakfast. And at breakfast time, you just load up on cotton candy. That's all you eat is cotton candy. And then for lunch, uh, you go by the burger stand and they've got a triple cheeseburger uh, and the buns are Krispy Kreme donuts. And that's your lunch. And then for dinner, uh, you go for the funnel cake, right? Because With, of course, powdered sugar on top because everybody needs funnel cake when you go to the county fair. And by the end of the day, you're sick to your stomach, right? In the short term, it was really good going down. It tasted good. Um, but, but overall, by the end of the day, you just want to probably throw up because you're so sick and and you're weak and you're tired uh, and you don't feel good and you probably have a headache and, and you're just done, right? See, the truth is, um, you need to eat vegetables. And, uh, Ezekiel is the prophet who looks at God's people and says, you need to stay away from the triple cheeseburger on uh, a pair of Krispy Kreme donuts. And so I think Ezekiel's the right man uh, for the time, and it's not the words that uh, God's people want to hear, and these are not the words that people today uh, want to hear either, right? Uh, We'd like to just hear the good stuff, the tasty stuff. So I've given you, hopefully, enough time uh, to get to Ezekiel 37. Uh, Let us pray and invite the Lord uh, to lead us through this uh, chapter together. God, we thank you for this wilderness journey. And Lord, uh, it's been hard, but it has been good. And so Lord, as we continue on this journey and kind of wrap things up today and and look at another uh, very faithful uh, prophet, uh, Ezekiel, God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Ezekiel 37, and uh, we're going to just blow right on by... The rebuke. I hope that's okay with you. Uh, We're gonna, uh, it it takes that long. Chapters one through 30 something are all about rebuke. And by the time we get to chapter 36, especially, uh, but now 37, uh, we're shifting gears, or Ezekiel is shifting gears uh, towards hope, uh, towards um, new possibilities uh, into the future. So if you're looking for hope and possibilities uh, today, you are in the right place. Ezekiel writes this about his experience uh, with God. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. Now we're going to just stop there. So there's Ezekiel's uh, wilderness. He's out in a valley, and there's bones, uh, presumably dead bodies, uh, laying all around him. So this is not a pretty... Uh, wilderness that God has taken Ezekiel to. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. So not only are these bones out in the middle of the wilderness, these uh, dead people, but it says uh, they were very dry bones. And and the image I have is is like uh, a desert, Um, and uh, these bones have just been baking in the sun for years and years. They were very dry bones. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? said the Sovereign Lord. Said, uh, <laughs> let me start. He, said, he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? I've got a, a, a typo here in my Bible. Son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now, we can all agree, even though I stumbled through that text, this is a strange conversation between God and Ezekiel. God says, look at all these bones here in the wilderness, these very dry bones, and I want you to have a conversation. I want you to talk to, I want you to preach to these bones. And I, I, this is just strange, And uh, I wouldn't blame Ezekiel uh, for a moment if he didn't actually do it, because this is a very odd uh, kind of uh, prophecy that God has given him. Now, the thing you need to know about Ezekiel is uh, he was eccentric, And when I say eccentric, uh, that's probably an understatement. Ezekiel was used to preaching at dry bones. He'd be like, "Ah, okay, I I, I can do that. I mean, Ezekiel was a very, very strange guy, let's just say. He was the guy, he is the guy, if you've ever been like to to the public square somewhere, and there's some guy wearing a sandwich board. Uh, He's got a bullhorn in his hand, and he's yelling at everybody, "Turner burn! Turner burned. I mean, this is, that's, that's who Ezekiel was. He, he just, he just kind of did it all. And, and he just had no fear. And he would just tell people uh, like it was, you know, one time Ezekiel preached a sermon for 390 days. And you think my sermons are long, but not just 390 days, but he lay on his left side because he was trying to make a point to, to, to God's people. I mean, he did stuff that was pretty off the wall. So for God to come to Ezekiel and say, this is what I want you uh, to preach, Uh, preach to these dry bones. Now, not just any kind of uh, preaching, but a very specific kind of preaching. This is what God says uh, to Ezekiel. Prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. It's not just any word. It's the word of the Lord. Now, many of you know that I like to read books. I've been known to, I don't know, plow through 25 or 30 books a year. I like to, I love reading. And, uh, you know, the thing is, of all the books uh, on my bookshelves at my house, really all my books are just dead trees. See, there's a big difference between uh, books and the book. This book God's holy word is living. This is not dead trees. This book is alive, and it speaks to us uh, today, and it speaks to people in all time. Hebrews 4.12 says this, "...the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword." cutting between the soul and the spirit, joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. In other words, we don't just read God's living word. It reads us. It changes us. It does something to us. And this is the kind of words uh, that that, uh, Ezekiel is being called uh, to preach. Not just any words, but the word of the Lord, a living word. So this, uh, this is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. So God's telling Ezekiel, this is what I want you to say uh, exactly word to word to these bones. And I, I, Ezekiel does not blink an eye. He goes right to action in verse 7. So I prophesied what I was commanded. You know, I think it'd be easy to just keep reading, but I think we want to just stop and pause there for a moment. God looks at Ezekiel and says, Ezekiel, this is what I want you to do. And Ezekiel does it. Ezekiel is obedient. And I think time and time again, we, we underestimate uh, how important it is for God's people, you and me, uh, to be obedient uh, to God and God's word. You know, we live in a day and time <clears throat> where people say things like, well, I'm all about grace, right? God comes to me in grace. And so I'm saved. I'm rescued. Now I'm just going to go live however I want, right? I mean, it's a pretty common uh, feeling uh, in belief system today. I know uh, churches, entire denominations that have gotten rid of obedience because it's all about grace, right? And God does come to us in grace and God does uh, give us free will to do whatever we want. But the problem uh, with uh, obedience uh, and making it optional is that there is never an option uh, in the Old Testament or the New Testament. God never says to God's people, I want you to obey me, but you really don't have to. See, obedience is not optional according to the Old Testament and the New Testament. You might remember uh, at, in Matthew 28... As Jesus is giving his final instructions to the disciples about how they're to live their lives, in Matthew 28, Jesus looks at the disciples and says, Go, therefore, to all the nations, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have taught you. From the very words of Jesus' mouth, He's calling us to obey him and to uh, teach others to obey him. And Ezekiel obeys. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So these bones come together and it's these bodies, these lifeless bodies. And God says, Ezekiel, I'm not finished. Now what I want you to do is to prophesy, preach, breath, uh, into these bones. And the idea, uh, what God is telling uh Ezekiel, and every Hebrew would understand this idea. It's looking back when God created the world and God created uh humankind. God took a pile of dust, he put it together, and it says, God breathed. <gasps> And man and women came to life. Now, the Hebrew word is ruach. And uh, ruach literally means breath or spirit. And uh, the idea here for Ezekiel is that God's breath, God's spirit comes in. And so God says, you know, this is how I've always made people from the very beginning. And Ezekiel, this is what I want you to do now is preach ruach preach air into uh, these bodies, these lifeless bodies. You know, breathing is one of these things that we do as we go through life that we don't think a lot about. In fact, uh, you and I, on average, uh, breathe about 23,000 times a day. (sighs) Twenty-three times, thousand times a day, and, and, and most of the time uh, we don't even think about breathing. This idea of ruach, the the spirit, uh, the breath of God uh, coming into our lives. You know, it reminds me of um, in in the Old Testament the name of God, and I put it on a piece of paper here so you can see it. Uh, the name of God in the original Hebrew language is YH w h y h w h it 's just four letters, and of course there are uh, no vowels with those letters and the idea behind uh, the four letters of God is that uh, nobody knows how to pronounce god 's name, and in fact, nobody would want to pronounce god 's name because god 's name is so sacred god 's name is so holy. That the the Hebrew people would never say God's name. They would never pronounce it. As they were reading through scripture, they would see YHWH, and instead of trying to pronounce that as they were reading along, uh, they would just simply say the Hebrew word Adonai, which means Lord. And so it's this mysterious name, um, uh, this name of God. Now, many scholars today, uh, Jewish scholars, believe that YHWH is pronounced Yahweh, right? Yahweh. But, but again, we, we don't really know. For, for a time, uh, there were some uh, scholars who thought it was pronounced Jehovah, Uh, But that theory has kind of been uh, debunked, although we continue to talk about Jehovah Jireh, right? Um, Lots of uh, interesting folklore uh, and misunderstandings as it relates to studying God's Word. But the name of of, of God, Y-H-W-H, a Jewish person would never say the name Yahweh because it was too holy and it was too mysterious and it was too much for them. It was just disrespectful. You just held that name. Now, there are some scholars uh, who believe that Yahweh, the breath of God, is actually uh, pronounced much like how we breathe. And that's actually how it sounds, or that's how it's pronounced, which means the name of God is too holy to be spoken, but the name of God is actually whispered and breathed 23,000 times every single day in your life and in my life. The first words that come uh, from our mouth when we wake up in the morning is Yah. And the last words that we say before we go to sleep at night, Yahweh. Now, my wife uh, claims that I also um, say Yahweh pretty loudly in the middle of the night, Um, but I've never heard myself snoring, so I'm I'm not really sure that that's true or not. But the point is, it's, it's the breath of God that comes uh, and and God says to Ezekiel, I want you to preach the very breath of God that gives life into all human beings. So I prophesied as God commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, "'Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, "'Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, "'This is what the Sovereign Lord says. "'My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. "'I will bring you back to the land of Israel.'" Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring them up, uh, bring you up from them. I will put my spirit, my ruach, in you, and you will live. And I will settle you in the land, in your own land. Then you will know that the Lord has spoken, and I have done it. Declares the Lord. And so earlier we were reading uh, a little bit about. Um, Uh, God uh, looking back uh, to the book of Genesis. And at this point in time, now God is foreshadowing the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how Jesus invites uh, those who are dead to come up out of the grave. Lazarus, come forth. Time and time again, every time Jesus comes to a person and says, follow me, He follows up that conversation with an invitation to rise to new life. And so here we are 600 years before Jesus walks on the earth and God is already foreshadowing the resurrection of Christ and how God will will raise the dead and bring them back. And and this is the hope. This is the hope that Ezekiel is preaching uh, to God's people. And this is the hope for you and for me and for all people is that this is what God does. This is what the Holy Spirit does, is the Holy Spirit breathes into our life. The Holy Spirit breathes through our life and the Holy Spirit invites us to come to life, to be resurrected. And the Holy Spirit moves uh, through Jesus in in the resurrection and invites us uh, to move forward uh, into the future. You know, one other scripture text that I want to share with you here uh, comes from John 10.10. And it's this reminder that there's a battle going on uh, all around us, a battle between life and death. And in John 10.10, we read that uh, the devil comes uh, to kill, steal, and destroy. And Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. It's this battle between life and death. And through the power of the resurrection, Jesus offers you and me and all people life. You know, in John 20, uh, there's another great passage here uh, where it says that Jesus breathed on the the disciples. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus actually breathed on the disciples. And so there's this breathing going on over and over and over. And all of the people who were there on that day and and God's people who've uh, followed the story since uh, would remember the Ruach, the breath of God, and how the breath of God gives life to even dry bones. The deadest of those who are dead, God could bring back to new life. I don't know what's going on in your life these days, but you maybe feel like you're too far gone from God. You maybe feel like you've sinned too much. You maybe feel like um, you're not worthy uh, of God's breath in your life. And so I want you to be reminded of the story from Ezekiel, that, that God can take even the most dead, dry bones and bring them back to life maybe that's the good news you need to hear today you know i think there's so much to this story uh, that just really uh, reminds us invites us that how god wants to use the holy spirit to move uh, through your life A couple years ago, um, I read a book called Canoeing in the Mountains by uh, Todd Bolsinger. And Todd is a pastor, um, I think in California, and uh, I was intrigued by this book for a couple reasons. One is I like to spend time in the mountains, and I also like to uh, canoe or kayak. And uh, so I was very intrigued by this uh, book and what this story uh this book is really about is the story of uh, meriwether lewis and uh, william clark and you probably know a little bit about the story of lewis and clark there were a couple guys explorers um that uh, in 1803 Uh, Thomas Jefferson, shortly after securing uh, the Louisiana Purchase, said, okay, we've made a good uh, stand on uh, going further west uh, for the United States. And so he commissioned uh, Lewis and Clark uh, to go and explore and get to the Pacific Ocean as quickly as possible and to find a route uh, to uh, the Pacific Ocean before the English, the British, uh, or other European powers were uh, to, to, to get there. So the clock is ticking, right? And, and there's this just kind of, we got to go, we got to go, we got to go. And so Lewis and Clark, were um, they knew a little bit about exploring. And so they traveled uh, on the Ohio River, they paddled on the Ohio River, and then they paddled on the Missouri River. And in Lewis and Clark's mind, they thought when we get to the Continental Divide, we are going to find yet another river uh, that's going to get us uh, all the way to the Pacific Ocean. That was their plan. That was their uh, expectation. The only problem is uh, when they got uh, up to the Continental Divide um, in uh, where um, North Dakota uh, meets Montana, uh, they did not uh, run into another river. They ran into, of course, the Rocky Mountains. And in that moment, uh, Lewis and Clark had to decide, what are we going to do? See, they were guys of the Enlightenment, and uh, as men of the Enlightenment, they knew that they had a couple options, and option one uh, was turn their canoes around and go back to President Jefferson and say, we failed, we couldn't do it. And their second option uh, was a radical option, and it was to try this uh, whole exploration thing in a completely radically uh, different way. And so canoeing in the mountains is a little bit tongue-in-cheek, and the idea behind it is that you, of course, cannot canoe in the mountains. If you're going to move ahead and if you're going to be successful, uh, you're going to have to ditch your canoes, right? You're going to have to ditch everything that's familiar. You're going to have to move ahead in a whole new way. You know, I think about the story of Lewis and Clark, and I think that's much about uh, where we're at today as a society in your life and in my life. We can't go back. We've got to move forward. We've got to move into the future. All that was familiar to us in the past is gone. But here's the deal. The only way forward is we've got to make some radical changes uh, in our lives. We've got to make some shifts in our lives. Because as, as, as uh, Jesus teaches us, unless we're going to really live, we need to first die. And I think how we move forward out of the wilderness and back into civilization is letting go of the things of so many things in our lives that bring death and destruction distraction all those things that are problematic in our lives we got a choice to make and and i know the great temptation for you and for me and for all of society is let's just go back to the way things were let's just bring our canoes with us um, but, but the truth is, the Rocky Mountains are there. there is, you can't paddle your way through the Rocky Mountains. We've got to let go of the things that are holding us back and move into the future in a whole new way. You know, one of the other things I really like uh, about the story of Lewis and Clark is um, that these were a couple guys um, who were doing their best, and they faithfully were willing to let go of their canoes. But the hero of the story of Lewis and Clark is not Lewis, and it's not Clark. It's a young Native American woman by the name of Sacagawea. Sacagawea, as you probably know, she was a young teenager. When she was just a child, um, uh, she was uh, actually uh, taken from her family and sold into uh, slavery. She was kidnapped. And uh, when they met Sacagawea, um, uh, she was just this uh, young mom still nursing a child. And she said, I'll be your guide. I'll take you where you want to go. And as I think about Lewis and Clark and Sacagawea going uh, through the woods, uh, through the wilderness, these guys have no idea where they're at. They are completely lost but the wilderness and this wilderness where they traveled was completely familiar to Sacagawea. It was her home. They were, they were just going through our walk through the woods. She knew exactly where she was taking them. And so every day Lewis and Clark had to wake up and they had to make a decision. We need to let go of our uh, explorer uh, instincts and allow Sacagawea to just lead us. And I think that's much the same way of how you and I get through the wilderness. We let go of our expectations. We let go of our instincts. We let go of all those things that we think are gonna get us uh, through the wilderness to the other side. Um, and, And we just gotta let go. And every day Invite Jesus to lead us through. See, in the wilderness, we're lost. But Jesus is not lost in the wilderness. He knows the wilderness. He's leading us home. See, I don't know how this whole uh, COVID-19 coronavirus thing is going to end, And I don't even know if we're at the end, uh, but I think we're starting to get some glimpses uh, of being at the end where civilization is still a bit far off, but we we can almost see it, right? We can see light at the end of the tunnel. And so we're invited, uh, we've been invited uh, through this wilderness experience to think uh, in a whole new way. And and, and I think you would agree with me that in in many ways, the the wilderness journey has been really, really good because it's stripped away the noise and the busyness and the chaos in our lives. And it's really allowed us to really listen to God's voice in our lives. The wilderness adventure you know, has taught us uh, a lot about uh, the brevity of life. The wilderness adventure has taught us a lot about the the fragility of life. The wilderness adventure uh, has taught us about what's important, what's really important. Probably said better, who is really important. The wilderness has been wild, it's been crazy, but it's been really, really good. And I think for many of us, it's, it's spoken to our souls and it's brought healing and hope, encouragement. And so as we look ahead into the future, I want us uh, to embrace what Lewis and Clark embraced. And they said, you know what? We don't like it. We don't know how we're going to do it. But we're going to have to drop the canoes and try a new way. And Lewis and Clark decided they were gonna follow a trail guide. They were no longer gonna be the experts, but they were gonna let someone else lead them through the wilderness to the Pacific Ocean. And of course she did, right? We wouldn't be talking about Sacagawea today if she had not uh, faithfully led uh, Lewis and Clark uh, to the Pacific Ocean and gotten them where they needed to go. So this ends uh, our journey uh, in the wilderness, Um, and uh, we're off to a new adventure, and uh, I don't know where we're going. I don't know what it's going to look like, uh, but I'm excited uh, because I think it's going to be a good adventure. Um, It's going to bring us new challenges. It's going to bring us um, new possibilities. We're going to see new scenery. Uh, We're going to meet new people, uh, and we're going to learn we're going to grow. And it'll maybe be, you know, a different kind of wilderness, but it'll be a wilderness uh, nonetheless. And uh, as long as we are faithful and obedient to who Jesus has called us to be, he will lead us safely home.